Well, Christmas and gift giving have gone together ever since the very birth of Jesus. And of course, the most famous and notable gifts were given by the Magi, the wise men who came from the east from many, many hundreds of miles, perhaps close to a thousand miles away. And they had seen the star and, and this bright light that shone and they came pursuing it. And they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And experts uh, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures tell us that they believe those were the gifts that were so valuable that gave Joseph, Mary, and Jesus the opportunity to flee from the hostility of Herod to be able to go not only travel to Bethlehem like they did for the birth of Jesus, but then to depart from there and go to Egypt and stay there for an extended period of time. These expensive gifts that were given to Jesus at his birth the very first Christmas, were what funded that trip. Well, the shepherds, those are people who were despised and, and the lower class of Israelites, they gave Jesus on the night of his birth the gift of their time. And they gave to Jesus on that very first Christmas their belief. Joseph and Mary also gave everything that they had to Jesus at his birth and beyond. They gave him their good name. They gave them their reputations. They gave as well as the shepherds their belief in him. And they gave their time and their schedules. I mean, think about how busy and crazy our lives are. You know, And not all of us are self-employed like Joseph was self-employed. But imagine having to completely upend your schedule. Go to Bethlehem for a period of time and then leave from there and go live in Egypt. You never even had that on your schedule or plan. Cease your business, everything. Had to do all of that. They gave their schedules. They sacrificed it all, not only for the delivery of Jesus into this world, but also to prevent his early departure. But there's one gift that was given by many different people at Jesus' birth that we kind of tend to just gloss over a little bit. And it's the very same gift that we also can give Jesus during Advent. And frankly, it's the gift that we should be giving every single day of the year. And that's the gift of worship. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, uh, starts the account of when the Magi had traveled to Jerusalem. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born? king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Their purpose in coming to see Jesus was to worship him. Well, after dialoguing with King Herod and King Herod not liking the news about this new king that was coming and uh, him consulting with uh, uh, religious leaders who would understand the scriptures and find out where the Messiah was supposed to be born and all of that, uh, they end up going to Bethlehem. And in verse 11, it tells us, on coming to the house, the Magi, that is, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. Then we have the account in Luke chapter 2. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 specifically. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. These angels and angelic beings as well give the gift of worship on Christmas to Jesus. The ones who knew Jesus better than anyone else, they offered their gifts of praise to Jesus. Now, of all the gifts that they could have given, and Jesus had some real needs. I mean, there were some true needs at his birth. He could have used a warm, clean, safe shelter or home 
to be born in. He could have used a crib that he could have slept in. He could have used support right then and there for his impoverished family. But what did these angels and these angelic beings give? They offered their worship to God. They did this on the night of his birth. And the book of Revelation tells us in chapter 4, verse 8, that this is something that they are still doing. And they continue to do. It says day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. Still others that first Christmas worshipped as well. Look at verse 15 through verse 20 in Luke chapter 2. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds, the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Mary, it tells us there in verse 19, the mother of Jesus who just delivered was overwhelmed by all of these things she heard. And hearing these things from, of all people, shepherds, lowly, despised people. And she treasured them. And it says she pondered them. In other words, she, it, that's a form of worship where you ponder, you reflect, you meditate, you muse over something. And the shepherds also, they returned to their stations in life. Uh, they went right back to the fields around Bethlehem. They went right back to work, camping out at night in the cold of the night. And of course, Bethlehem was one of the places where all the best sheep were because of, of the sacrifices that went on at the temple in Jerusalem, just a handful of miles away, short distance away. And, and they were there back doing their life's work like they already did as lowly despised shepherds, but they went back different people. They went back glorifying and praising God. Imagine going to work every day with that in your heart and your mind of glorifying and praising God. That's what these shepherds did. It, you know, the Christmas account is all about the worship of God. And so should our experience be with Advent. It should be one of worship. To worship means to ascribe worth. And this is what our mission is in this Advent season. It's what it's all about, ascribing worth to God, turning our hearts toward God and declaring that God is worthy in all of our actions, in all of our words, in all of our responses, in our silence, in our meditation, in our interactions with others, in our giving, in all of our good deeds. All of it should be directed toward ascribing worth to God. You know, in the fascinating account of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus reveals to her that God is still seeking the same kind of worshipers that we witness in the birth of Christ narratives that are found in the Gospels in the Bible. In fact, John 4.23 reads this way. Jesus said, Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. See, God is actively seeking people who will worship him, and this is the gift that God desires for us to give to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit during the Advent season and throughout the year, to give the gift of worship. 
Now, is that your first and foremost thought during Advent? Is that what you think about this week as we head into the celebration of Christmas? This is an unprecedented opportunity for us, each one of us, to declare God's worth, to share the good news of Jesus with others, to reflect upon our utter dependence upon God, to pray that others may experience the Christ of Christmas and that they may grow deeper and we may grow deeper in our faith. The Advent season affords us a wonderful opportunity to reprioritize the worship of God in our lives, to reprioritize the ascribing of worth to God in our lives and everything that we do and are. The truth be told, though, if we do not offer our worship to God, we will be offering it to someone or to something else. We might be looking to our marriages or our families to meet our deepest needs. We might direct our attention toward wealth or toward possessions or toward certain hobbies to fulfill us. We might even go as far as to think that education or our retirement or, or maybe even our grandchildren, oh, they're gonna really meet our deepest needs and carry us through. And if we do not declare God's worth, we will worship something else. We will ascribe worth to something less than God. And anytime we look to an object or an activity to give us meaning in life, we worship it. And we ultimately set ourselves up for disappointment because they can't fulfill those needs that we have. And yes, there are a lot of imposters in our culture, a lot of false gods for people to worship. One of them is religion. That's one of the major ones. Then there's the worship of self and self-interest. There's sex and wealth and food and entertainment and, oh, video games. Does that capture people? And social media and having the world at, at your fingertips on the Internet, which has led so many to worship pornography. And then there's alcohol and drugs and fame and success and power, just to name a few. And all of these are dismal substitutes for God. And they often lead to heartache. They lead to disappointment and many times to anger. God-centered worship protects us from all of this because God's love for us never fades. His passion, his zeal for us isn't just to save us, but it's to be in a relationship with us for all eternity. In John verse, chapter 15, verse 13, it says that no greater love is anyone than this than would lay down their life for a friend. That's what God did for us in Christ Jesus. Jesus came, was born in, in the putrid conditions of a, of a stable, in impoverished life. Uh, he has no place to even lay his head. And, and here he is. He lives this life growing up. And 33 years on this earth, the last three years in mission, in ministry, directly, you know, teaching and healing and, 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 uh, and loving people. And then he ends up being crucified on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin and all of humanity's sin. For as many as received him, accept that gift, they get the right to become children of God. After he died on the cross paying the penalty for our sin, he was placed in the grave in a tomb. On the third day he rose, victorious over death, victorious 
over sin. He taught some more, mainly about the resurrection, and then 40 days later he ascended into heaven where he sits at the, God, at the right hand of God the Father. The Trinity, back together in glory where Jesus came from when he, this plan first came into fruition and he came to this earth. No greater love has anyone than this than would lay down their life for a friend. Well, Psalms tells us repeatedly that the Lord is good and that his love endures forever. It tells us that God is rich in love and that his love, it says it specifically, his love never fades and that God is loving toward all that he's made, loving toward us and all that he's made in God's beautiful creation. So I ask you today, are you heartbroken? Worship God. Are you stressed out right now? Worship God. Are you at a time of loss in your life? Tremendous loss, tremendous suffering. Worship God. Are you discouraged right now? Worship God. Are you feeling a little depressed? Yep. You know what the antidote is? Worship God. Are you ashamed right now? You need to worship God. Have you been let down by others in your life? Maybe people who are extremely close to you. Worship God. Worship does amazing things. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrew chapter 13, verse 15, that worship is the fruit of lips. It's the byproduct of people's lives who openly profess Jesus' name. That's the fruit. We, 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 in a relationship with Jesus, we want to declare his name. We want to profess his name and all that that means and all that that stands for. And Psalm 63, verse 3 says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. God's love for us is better than life itself and better than anything else that's going on in our lives right now. And I tell you what, I got a pretty special day before me today because this is my 40th anniversary today. So, and I'm not saying that to get any attention, but that's a pretty special day. And we went out last night and had a beautiful day, an enjoyable night together, a beautiful meal, and reflected on, I mean, it's pretty special. And then, in a few moments, I get to go to the 11 o'clock service here that's going to be the children's Christmas program with five grandchildren in there. I mean, can you have a better day than that? Well, let me tell you, folks, God's love for us is better than life itself, better than anything you have going on in your life, better than what I've got going on in my life today. And as a result of all that, I am going to glorify God. I will worship him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, powerful things happen when we worship God. On Christmas Eve 1915 near the village of Leventi in northern France, World War I was raging. Bombs and artillery blasts had devastated the landscape. Frigid temperatures were demoralizing the combatants on both sides. German soldiers were entrenched on one side of the battlefield. And Royal Welsh, Welsh Fusiliers, which are you know, Welsh soldiers, part of the English army, they were on the other side. All were young men who had you know, been engaged in the war for many months now, and they had witnessed the horrors of war, and specifically the horrors of World War I, which involved 
trench warfare, which involved many times even shotguns with buckshot that just were intentionally trying to maim and wound people so it would overwhelm the medical staff on each side. And the horrors of the war they experienced was chemical warfare that was used. All that has been outlawed since World War I, but it was used in World War I. They'd experienced all of that. And all of these young men who had been engaged in this war and seen all of this, they were homesick, especially at Christmas time. They were longing to be with their loved ones. And at one point this Christmas Eve in the darkness, German soldiers began to sing Christmas carols, including some Welsh ones. They were singing it in their native German language, but the Welsh soldiers on the other side were recognizing their songs, their Christmas carols singing about Christ. And both sides then set down their weapons. And for a period of time, there was no war. There were no enemies, just the worship of God. And what happened next has been described by many as a miracle. The night was spent singing Christmas carols. And on Christmas morning, soldiers from both of their entrenched positions got up, walked across the battlefield, which was often referred to as no man's land because you had trenches and barbed wire and, and you know, different uh, explosive devices. and It was dangerous. They walked across no man's land and they greeted one another and they exchanged gifts with one another. German beer and sausage were given to the Welsh soldiers and, and while canned corned beef and biscuits were given to the German soldiers. Next, a little ad hoc game of soccer broke out with 50 people per side on the little bit of level field that they had left out there. For 30 minutes, the battlefield was turned into a sports field. And this all began because of the gift of Christmas and the gift of worship that was being offered up to God because of the gift of Christmas. And I pray that this Advent season, each one of you will join the heavenly chorus in worshiping God, giving glory to God in the highest. Let's pray together. God, our Father, again, we thank you on this fourth Sunday of Advent where we are uh, anticipating and celebrating the first coming uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and, and longing for the second coming of, of Jesus. And God, during this time, as we are in Advent and we're thinking about your coming, we are mindful of your great love for us, your zeal, your passion that never fades. And God, I pray in response that we will be like all the angelic beings, that we'll be like all those in that very first Christmas who gathered around Jesus and came and worshiped him. Oh God, I pray that we would worship you not only at this time of year, but each and every day of our lives, that we would be ascribing to you the worth uh, that, and, and, that you're due and who you are and uh, declaring your worth, God. Oh, I just pray that we'll come to that point in our lives and, and truly, truly, no matter what our life circumstances are, recognize the power that there is in worship. And we pray this now in Jesus' name.